0: Acts chapter 12, verse 24, 25, and then 13, 1 through 3. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Verse chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas... Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This will be the introduction. The introduction to the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today thanking you for your word. Thanking you, Lord God, that there were people willing to go and to serve and to, to preach and to teach. They were available. Lord, we're thankful that so many were saved. We're thankful that this first missionary journey is, a, is this catalyst that goes to the, to the Gentiles. Lord, we know that we've seen Gentiles saved thus far in Acts, but, but now we see this man called the Apostle Paul, as he is fixing to go out from the headship of the church, In Christ Jesus. And he's going to preach boldly. And Lord, I just thank you for sending salvation to the Gentiles. Lord, if it were not so, we wouldn't be saved. And so we thank you today for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Beginning in chapter 12, 24 and 25, a uh, very quick recap. Last week, we looked at Herod being exalted with pride. Big shocker, right? Herod was shocked, or filled with pride and, and how that was his demise. He was exalted. Uh, we looked at some historical books, one by the, by the name of Josephus, and he tells us a little bit more in-depth what took place that day, Um, and it's just a a wonderful, a wonderful article to read. If you ever want to go and to look at that, you can read that, and it kind of goes into depth. Um, But Herod died, he died, and he was eaten by worms, right? That's messed up. We looked at how this was an example for the church, just as Ananias and Sapphira was an example for the church. The Lord does some pretty extreme things here in the book of Acts. And he does that to get our attention and to show us, hey, this is an example of what not to do. So we see that with Herod. He was exalted with pride. Herod Agrippa I. He was a law keeper and we also looked at, he was was a strict law keeper but he wasn't a saved man. And it Just goes to show you that no matter how much law you keep, that doesn't mean salvation. It's only by faith in Christ Jesus. And we know the Herods were very wicked people. But beginning in verse 24, listen to what it says. But the word of God increased and multiplied. First off, I thank the Lord for that. It's wonderful because we'll have brothers and sisters in Christ that were gained during this period of time. But secondly, I want us to see that at the death of Herod, after that comes something pretty shocking. It's almost like a a short reprieve for the church. And the the gospel is able to go, and and it does go, and it does. It does affect a lot of people, change a lot of people's hearts. But the Word of God increased and... Multiplied. This was after Herod was eaten by worms. It begins to spread and it begins to flourish once again. And so you see that whole conflict, and and then, then you have the spread of the gospel. And then you have conflict, and then you have the spread of the gospel, and it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. If you turn back to chapter 11, you see in verse 19, going on down through there, where there was a man by the name of Agabus who came to Antioch, and he prophesied... He prophesied that there would be a great famine in the known world, the Roman Empire. This is where Paul and Barnabas are sent to Jerusalem to give aid to the people there. Well, their time there is done. So now they are moving back to Antioch. They take with them John Mark. And you can find that story in 19 uh, chapter 11 19 through 30. You see where the elders entrusted Barnabas and Saul to go and bring that money or whatever it might have been, that aid to the church there in Jerusalem. Well, here it is over in chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch. They had come back to Antioch and they were there. They were there. They return from Jerusalem, they're back there, and this church is a hub. It is a big hub. And what I mean by that is, you have Jerusalem, but then north of that, it's like you have Antioch. And Antioch in Syria is just a, a, an amazing church. It has all sorts of different players in it. I mean, it has, it has prophets and it has teachers. We've, we've already seen people that, that came there to prophesy about, about this great um, famine in the land. We have an apostle that's there. We have people that are capable of sharing the gospel, people that are capable of preaching the gospel. There's all these different gifts there. We have a church that is there, that's been planted. And it is thriving. And this church is going to be the hub for the Apostle Paul. It's going to be a place for him to come back to, for him to report back to the church. And then for that church to report back to Jerusalem. And you're going to see this. If you want to, you can turn over with me to uh, chapter 14 very quickly before I get into my text. Go to chapter 14 really quick, uh, verse 27. Paul and Barnabas, after their first missionary journey, I'm kind of giving you the bookends of his missionary journey. Listen to what it says. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch in Syria, 14 and verse 27. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. Where are they at? They're at Antioch. They had went out and they had come back. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. This was their report when they came back from their first missionary journey. They had to report back to the church and then right after that you see the Jerusalem Council in the next chapter. And so this was all on purpose. This was all organized by the Lord. And it was all in order. And that's what we have to see and and remember. Beginning in 13, chapter, chapter 13 and verse 1. In chapter 13, we'll see that the church in, in Antioch is a fully functioning, thriving assembly. Before I get into the text, an introduction to it. Because we have to know where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are going to be coming back to. What caliber of, of people these people are. They're just like us, but they are... They are okay, I'll get into it here in just a minute. Listen to what it says. It's a fully functioning, thriving assembly. In this church, we will see truly how we are to do mission work and how people are sent out to do mission work. And also, we will notice the call to the Gentiles by Saul, which is the overarching theme in 13 and... 14. We've already looked at Peter ministering to the Gentiles like Cornelius. Remember that? In chapter 10, that was several months ago. So I went over it in one of the other chapters. Peter ministered to Cornelius, which was a Gentile, but now we have the Apostle Paul, whose primary goal is to go out from the church in Antioch to share the gospel with you and me, to the Gentiles. And we have it recorded for us in Scripture. Having said all that, we still have to be able to apply this in our text to our own lives. And we're going to do so today. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets... And teachers, verse one, chapter thirteen. When we think about the prophets, we think about one speaking of coming events, like in Psalms twenty-two. Psalms twenty-two is a phenomenal passage of Scripture. It describes the crucifixion in detail by King David. It describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to the very smallest of details. That's a prophet. That's prophecy. That's prophesying. Prophets were not vague, as you see some today, that call themselves prophets. Prophets are not vague, but they spoke clearly of coming events. And understand this, They had 100% accuracy. Those things that did not come to pass by so-called prophets, those people in the Old Testament would be labeled false prophets and not to listen to them. So it either came to pass or it didn't come to pass. And that's how you measure by If it's a prophet or not. If they are a prophet or not. Today we have prophets and prophetesses. In churches. Now we don't hear. But I see it going down the road. Sister prophetess such and such is going to be evangelizing here. And brother prophet this one and brother prophet that one. We don't need prophets today. I do not agree with this. I do not agree with these other denominations. And even in the Baptist circles, talking about this one's a prophet and that one's a prophet, I don't believe in that. I don't agree with it at all. In the New Testament church in the first century, there was great need for prophets. Just as there was in the Old Testament. Man, this thing was getting up and running. I mean, this New Testament church, eight or nine years in, and here we are, and they're still using prophets. Agabus came from Jerusalem to Antioch to tell them, hey, there's going to be a great famine in the whole land. And we have historical evidence that it actually came to pass. That's a prophet. What we see nowadays in all these other churches, and I'm not calling out denominations... Because it's false prophecy is everywhere. But what we'll see nowadays scattered across the board from here to South Africa, Bester, what we see nowadays is we see false prophets that came into the church and have come into the church. And they have a certain level of power that people look up to. And they ain't nothing more than soothsayers. They ain't nothing more than Miss Cleo trying to tell the future. You say, you on a soapbox? No, I'm not. It burns me up. Burns me up. To see, quote unquote, prophets. They got schools nowadays where you can go and learn to prophesy. That doesn't even make sense. It's like cleaning yourself before you use the bathroom. Right? That doesn't even make sense. Schools for prophets... To learn how to prophesy? Wait a second, I thought it came from the Lord and then they gave it out from there. How is that taught? And so here in our text, we got to understand that the prophets that we see nowadays that are calling themselves prophets, guys, it's... God's Word is complete. We don't need any new revelation. I don't know if we understand that or not, but... We've got God's Word. Next we have... Can I stop on that about the prophets? I'm done with that. I, there's, there's a lot to be said about false prophecy, false prophets, and I'm not going to go there anymore because I don't like them. need to pray for them. The Lord would, that the Lord would show them the truth. In the early church, it was necessary. We see those giftings dying out around 70 AD. This is is true. God's Word is complete. We don't need that anymore. Everything that we need to hear from the Lord is in His Word. And we understand that. Next we have in the church, teachers at Antioch. This was a body of believers that were willing and ready to work for the Lord. We got to get this. Antioch was thriving because there were people working. Verse 1 gives us the five people, or the five men, uh, particularly, that was called out Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. Five men set apart for working in the church at Antioch and working abroad as missionaries for the Lord but still responsible to report back to the church there at Antioch and also Jerusalem. Verse 2, listen to what it says. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to do which I have called them. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, speaks. Whether it was audible or whether it was in their hearts. The Holy Spirit spoke and they heard. Everybody agree with that? That's what the the Scripture says. The third person of the Trinity speaks and whether it was in their heart or whether they heard it with their ears, they understood it, they heard it, and they were in agreement. And they did it. I want us to notice something in this text first before we go any further into the calling of Barnabas and Saul. And you're going to say, Pastor, this is pretty fundamental stuff. I like fundamentals because they win the game. I have told my girls 5,000 times, if you can make a layup, you'll win the ball game. You know why? Because a layup is fundamental. If you can pass the ball and make a layup, you can win a game. We have a game here. We have a race here. And we have to have fundamentals that are exercised so we can finish strong. True or false? Our salvation is a race, true or false? And to run that race, we have to have the bare essentials. We have to have the things that we need to accomplish and finish that course. The first thing I want you to see about this passage of Scripture, what were the people doing? Answer, worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord. This is what they were doing. Is it a coincidence that the Lord spoke to them while they were worshiping Him? No. Why? Because it's a a conversation. They were worshiping the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord, praising the Lord. And the Lord speaks to them. That's I mean, communication is key. They were ministering to Him in praise and the Lord responded in power and sets in motion Saul and Barnabas. He sets them in motion. It's it's called a relationship. Casey and I, if we don't communicate, our relationship is strained very hard. And that's with any marriage. If there is no communication, this is a fundamental that we have to get right. If there is no communication in marriage... If there's no communication in a friendship, then it is going to strain that relationship to the utmost. It's going to be hard to move in that relationship. It's going to be hard to get anything accomplished. It's going to be hard to go down the track in that relationship if there is not communication. And so this is a fundamental that I think that is so important that we have to grasp. They were communicating to the Lord through way of, by way of, of praise. This is a fundamental. We must praise the Lord. This relationship, this communication that we're to have, if we never praise the Lord how will He know we love Him? If we never praise Him, why would we think that He would respond to nothing? If we don't ever lift up anything to Him, why do we really think that He's going to respond to us? We know that He's a gracious and a merciful God, we understand that, and He overlooks a multitude of sins. But there is something about fundamentals that we have to get right. Communication is one of them. And the communication that we see here is is praise. Another, Another one that we see is prayer. If we never praise, if we never pray, there's another one reading God's word. These are fundamentals to get us through the cru- the finish line. If we never praise, if we never pray, and if we never read God's word, how will we know how much he truly loves us? I can remember where I was at when I when I fully realized what justification was. I was reading God's word. And it dawned on me and it clicked in my brain the depth of justification. These are things that we have to get right. The early church here in chapter 13, in verse 2 it says, "...while they were worshiping the Lord." The church was worshiping and seeking the face of the Lord in his favor. And I'm gonna tell you right now, Grace, we have to do a better job of that. In our private lives, in our public lives, and congregationally, we have to do a better job. Have to. We have to do a better job in praying and being more purposeful about it. We have to be more deliberate about reading our Bibles. As soon as you think that you know it all, I promise you, you've lost the whole meaning of God's Word. That cannot be an attitude that is found inside of the church. We don't know it all. We could live a thousand lifetimes and never dig to the bottom of the gold that's in God's Word. So, there are some very basic fundamental things that we see this church doing. And this church was thriving. Why were they thriving? Because they were doing the fundamentals, they were praising, they were praying. They were listening to the teaching of God's Word. They were acting out the teaching of God's Word, living that out. Verse 2, notice also that they were fasting. Here again, just as when a person denies themselves, when they, you know, you have to deny yourself to praise the Lord. Because it's a very humbling thing to raise your hands up and to begin to praise the Lord and to call out to Him and tell Him how awesome and how beautiful He is. Someone might think that you are crazy, right? It's denying of your own personal feelings. It's denying of yourself. You have to deny yourself to do that. I'm going to praise the Lord. And here again, we have this this self-denial. Here again, we see it again. In fasting. And this is an order just like it is with praise. In order to draw close to God. Fasting. There's great power in praise. We see that all through the Old Testament. It was used as a weapon of warfare by God and His saints. There's great power in fasting. We see that also as a weapon of warfare. We see it with Queen Esther when she called a three-day fast. Am I right or wrong? Jesus was all the time. He was all about fasting. This is an area where I truly struggle. One reason why is because I don't think about it that often. Because any impulse for me to eat, I go to the refrigerator and I get what I want. Amen or not? We all got refrigerators. Nobody's got to bury their food in the ground anymore. If you had to bury the food in the ground, you wouldn't be going out there getting as much. But we all got refrigerators and they're all chock full of stuff. And all we got to do is go get it. It's so easy. This is why we don't think about it. It's also a spiritual discipline that is not easy to practice. And I'm not talking about giving up your Cokes. I hear people all the time, and I'm not, I'm not talking about people's sacrifices, but I hear people all the time, they say, well, I gave up Cokes for three days. I'm like, well, bless your little heart. Bless them, Lord. They gave up Coca-Cola. If you want to get the Lord's attention, go on a fast. Deny yourself. Show Him that you are completely and solely dependent upon Him. Take up your cross and follow and feed on the Lamb of God and His Word. This is what the early church was doing. These are principles that the modern church nowadays, I think, can get away from if we're not reminded of them. And when that happens, when that happens, the church begins to lose its power. Inside the walls and also inside the community. Some of us need to fast more. Just like some of us need to praise more. Some of us need to fast more. And I'm one of them. To deny ourselves... So that we may go hard after Christ. Then we have prayer, obviously in the text as well. There in verse 3. We need to do it more. By show of hands... Can anybody tell me that your prayer life is where it needs to be by show of hands? You can't, can you? So this, these fundamental things, and I'm just about done. I want you to pay attention to me. These fundamental principles and these fundamental practices that we have in God's Word right here in chapter 13. Praise Fasting, prayer, they win the day. They absolutely win the day. But yet it's so easy for us to neglect them in our own life. If you had a recipe on how to win... Instructions, a pamphlet. You would listen to that, read it, rehearse it. You would know it backwards and forwards. This is how we get across the finish line. And it starts with a real relationship with Christ Jesus. And a real fellowship that consists of praising Him. Because he's worthy. That consists of, of reading God's word. Because he's given us a love letter to tell us truly how much he loves us. And how we're to act in response to that. But not only that, but how we are to pray. To speak to him. And to keep this, on, this communication ongoing. Listen to verse 3, and and I'm done. I think, well, never mind. Um, Listen to verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul, they get a a proper send-off here. After being confirmed, being confirmed by the Holy Spirit, after fasting, after prayer, it's not until after all of this that they then say, okay, you know what? We're ready to send you out. There's a lot of people that go out on their own trying to start a fire that they have no business starting. And we see that all over the globe today. False prophets. They go out there and they stir up the sparks, the coals to make sparks. And it, and it never comes to pass. Here we have in our text, this Antioch church, and they are invested in these two men, Saul and Barnabas. The Spirit has come to them and said for them to set them apart, and after much prayer and after fasting, they finally do it. They finally do it. Proper send-off. What was their job? Their job was to spread the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The saving knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And who was it to? It was to the Gentiles. That is you and that is me. Somebody better give them an amen for that because that's the reason why you're sitting in the pew today. That's the reason why we have an eternal hope, an eternal assurance in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul. Who went from one that was desired named Saul to one that was named Paul, which means little. This man was, he was wild for the Lord. Violent for the Lord. He went about preaching and teaching the word of God, him and Barnabas both. And this is Saul and Barnabas' first real missionary journey. And it's going to go fast. When you get into 13, and I'm almost done, listen to me. When you get into 13 and 14, Paul doesn't stay in one place too long. I mean, he is moving. 13 at the end of 14. He is moving from place to place. Spreading the Word of God. And we're going to see him do that next week. Beginning in verse 4. And I'm going to stop right there, and I want to share this with you. You can close your Bibles, because I know everybody always does that when I say I'm stopping right there. First thing you do, I can hear them all close. I used to wait for my mom to do that when, when I was a child, because I knew that meant we were getting out of church. Well, that's true. I remember that. I want to stop right there. And I, I want to leave you with a plead. A plead to share the gospel. When? This is the question: when? I want you to do it today, tomorrow and the next day. Where? We're at at Richard Thompson's visitation and funeral. Why? Right now we have an opportunity to be guiding lights to the Thompson family. This is the church's responsibility. We know that Richard Boo Boo Thompson was a child of God. We saw him sit right there. Sit right there where Al is. And he'd just wave his hand during prayer or praise. Just wave his hand. He loved the Lord. I had the privilege of discipling him for two years. Until he went into the nursing home. He loved his family. Lynn, Morgan, and Tyler, and Leah. And there's four people that are immediate to Him that we need to be in prayer for. When people's hearts are hurting and thinking on eternal matters, we need to be the ones to guide them to Christ Jesus. We need to be looking for opportunities to do this. We need to take every opportunity that we have. You're going to get shut down? Probably so, more than likely. Well, Mr. Tommy was in the hospital. I shared the gospel with some some people and got shut down. But I still did it. And during these times... We have to share the gospel, this salvation. We have to share and be likes to them for comfort. Whether it's for comfort or whether it's for salvation, I am pleading with you. I have seen enough death in the last year that it makes my brain spin. Two funerals, I got to preach this week. Get the privilege of preaching. Death is coming to us all. And we need to get our business done. Need to get our business done. We have to be the church for this family. Have to. Be the church. Show love. Show compassion. Grieve with those that grieve. And above all, show them Jesus Christ. The greatest love you could ever show or tell anyone is that all have sinned. And all need a Savior. The greatest love that you could share with anyone is that Savior is Jesus Christ. The greatest love that you could share with anyone is being truthful and telling them that there is a real heaven and a real hell. you really want to show people you love them? Share with them that by faith in Jesus Christ, their sins can be pardoned and wiped clean. Life is entirely too short to mess around with eternity. Entirely too short. On Friday, I stood in a room where one of our church members' body lay, Richard Thompson. And I ministered to to his family for 45 minutes while he was there. I was called back the very next day because Miss Marilyn Johnson was passing. Taking her last breaths. Two hours before she passed, I was there. And as a pastor, I have the reality and I see what happens with people. People. And I see that life is so incredibly short. And I am telling you, 10 out of 10 doctors have concluded everybody dies. So we better get it right. I'm reminded of death too often. There's so much to do in our salvation. So much to do in the church. So many lost people right around us. So many. That we should be concerned. We should be praying for them. We should be praising the Almighty. Lifting Him up. And asking Him. To work in the hearts of those that are right around us. It's time for the church to shine its light. What we're really called to do is be the moon. To be the moon. To be a reflection of the true light source to a dark world. That's what we're called to do. Take the bucket off your light and let it shine. Real simple. Just like Saul and just like Barnabas. Just like they were doing in our text. I leave you with this. I plead with you. This morning, please minister to the Thompson family. Please. Don't let it just be me or somebody else. Reach out to them. Minister to them. There are souls there that need Jesus. And I plead with you today that you would do that. Let's pray.